Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, and classic cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and we are in the middle of season four, the Art House Starter Pack. So this is a set of movies, art house movies, that are designed to be uh, an entryway, a gateway into art house cinema. If you've always wanted to know more or get more into kind of artsy movies, this is the perfect season for you. We are on episode two of the season, and today our movie is The Seventh Seal from 1957, directed by Ingmar Bergman. If you want to see the whole lineup of the movies we're doing this season, look in the show notes, or you can find us on Instagram. We have a post about that. That's at Art House Garage. The Seventh Seal is a really significant movie. It's got a lot of really iconic scenes, uh, including one of the most iconic in all of cinema. If you've ever seen the image of uh, it's a knight, like a, a, a medieval knight, playing chess against basically the Grim Reaper, death itself. Um, that's a, a hugely famous scene and an actually recurring thing. That's this movie. That's what this is from. And um, it's a really great film. I've seen it twice now and I'm really excited to get into it. A little more about that. Here's a, a little excerpt from an essay on The Seventh Seal written by um, a writer named Peter Cowie. This is on the Criterion Channel's website, which I'll also link to in the show notes. But uh, this is from 1987. He says, for more than 40 years, The Seventh Seal has been a benchmark by which all other great foreign films are judged. It launched the international career of its director, Ingmar Bergman, and made a star of its 27-year-old leading actor, Max von Sydow. The Seventh Seal and the other Bergman masterpieces that soon followed it, Wild Strawberries, The Magician, and The Virgin Spring, were as important to the development of world cinema as the new wave in France or the work of Fellini, Antonioni, and Bertolucci in Italy. Bergman's work proved that essential philosophical and human issues could be explored on film and still reach a wide audience. Uh, so that's, you know, very high praise and I think very well deserved. If you don't recognize all of those directors' names in there or French new wave, those are really, really big deals. So he's saying this movie is as big a deal as any of that stuff and um, Bergman himself is. So we're going to talk a lot about Ingmar Bergman and his legacy and uh, his style as we get into this conversation. But we are once again joined here by Andrew Camarillo, who's going to be here all season. Um, he is a great uh, just thinker on movies, and he's great at uh, digging into these kind of, I don't know, artsy movies, for lack of a better term, and I'm excited to get into this one. Uh, so before we get into the movie, let's check in with Andrew. Hello, how are you, and uh, what have you been watching lately? Hi, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I've recently uh, I watched a film from 1938 called The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse. Uh, I had never <laughs> seen the film before, but it's with Edward G. Robinson, Humphrey huh. Bogart, uh, Claire Trevor, and it was really fun. It was um, kind of silly. It's sort of like a comedy slash crime yeah, drama. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really fun. Yeah. Edward G. Robinson plays um, um, a doctor, a wealthy doctor, and he has an interest in crime and learning about why criminals do what they do and how their body uh, reacts to doing criminal activities. So he actually becomes a criminal and meets um, Claire Trevor and Humphrey Bogart, who are criminals, and goes through uh, the experience while he – and he's (laughs) – what's funny is he's taking like – 
diagnostics and like vitals <laughs> on the criminals while they're committing the crimes while he's with them. Uh, but it, it's it, it was fun, and actually it was um, co-written by uh, by John Houston. Uh, so oh, um, it's kind of an interesting movie. So I, I had fun with that. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. Uh, is that another TCM thing that you watched? Yeah, that's another TCM movie that I watched, which was cool. And I had forgot to mention the last time, the, on the last episode that I had uh, watched Roma and Shoplifters for uh, the first yeah. time. Oh. Oh so, gosh. yeah, they were both fun and, or the fun, you know, the right word, but they were <laughs> yeah. both very good and enjoyable yeah. to watch. So, yeah, yeah oh they, they were great. What have you been watching? Well, first of all, really quick Roma, I love so much. I, I've only seen it once, I guess. I need to watch it again, but I really love Roma and Shoplifters. I caught up with late last year too and really loved that one also um so yeah we don't have to get into all those but those are definitely worth watching uh if you're looking for titles to see and i I think those are streaming places so those are great yeah Mm -hmm. i have uh, i'm going to talk about a movie just a little different realm that's actually i was one i watched with my kids last night that i haven't seen since it came out it's an animated movie from pixar uh it's a movie wally with the robot you know um, oh yeah that's I, awesome i love that movie i i remember really reacting to it strongly when it first came out i've probably watched it maybe once or twice since then uh it's from 2008 which seems way longer ago than <laughs> that i uh, cared <laughs> to think about but um my i tried to show it to my son last year and he wasn't really into it but now he's five and he he loved it he got way into it i love how the first I don't know, 20 minutes is basically a silent movie um, about these uh this robot in isolation and I don't know. I, as I get older, I really love stories about um, non-human characters that kind of shine a hold a mirror up to humanity a little bit, and you see like what's human about these robots, and it kind of somehow hits harder. Um, for yeah, yourself. Wally's so, yeah. Uh, was a great, a great movie. I need to rewatch it. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, yeah. it, it. I remember watching it. I think when it came out, and it was it was really. Really fun and really interesting as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. Really creative and the kind of the uh, environmental message I think is really positive too. So anyway, yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching Wally last night. Actually, I had an interesting connection to uh, to the Seventh Seal, which I'll get to later on. I was like, oh, that's funny that I'm watching these two things back to back. But uh, all right, hmm. I guess without further ado, let's let's get into the Seventh Seal. Hi, uh, this is Blake Dean Allen. I'm a filmmaker. Uh, the Seventh Seal was my introduction to Bergman, and it's probably the best possible introduction because the stigma seems to be that something like the Seventh Seal is uh, real. It's too artsy and unaccessible, but I found to my surprise that it was highly entertaining. And it was a lot funnier than I expected. Uh, and that's something I came to find with watching more Bergman is that he had a very solid sense of humor, although a dark one. The film manages to tell a real compelling story the whole time. I mean, the performances are great. Uh, every, every shot in it is like a little painting. And I think it's a, I think it's a story 
and a movie that somehow, if you can get over subtitles, is just really accessible to anybody. Hey, this is James Basham. I think the thing I love the most about The Seventh Seal is it shows off a side of Bergman that's one of my favorite sides of him, which is his funny, silly side. And there are very dark subjects in the movie and heavy, heavy emotions and heavy scenes, but it also balances out with some really funny stuff. I specifically think of the scene that always inspires me and blows me away is the scene with Gunnar uh, Brinstan, who was an amazing actor and worked with Bergman a lot. He was kind of part of the troupe that Max von Sydow and all those actors were part of his like theater troupe. And he also does a great job in Through a Glass Darkly, by the way, so check out that. But he has this scene where Block, the farmer, is being schmoozed over by his wife, and his wife is trying to like caress him and like tell him, like, oh, I love you. And he's behind them, just kind of making fun of him to the people next to him, being like, look at this. Like, she's going to, next thing you know, she's going to say she's going to make his favorite dish. You know, he's saying a bunch of those things. He's kind of talking to the audience, breaking the fourth wall, talking to them. And there's just little funny moments like that. But that was a, that's a really specific moment that is one of the reasons I love this movie. And there's also another shot that feels very Monty Python-esque. And it's the shot of death cutting down a tree I don't know what it is about that shot, but it always makes me laugh every time. But yeah, that that's what I like about this movie is it balances humor and really heavy subjects very well. And I, I think it's just a very uh, dynamic movie. And it's also an entertaining movie because at the end of the day, Emar Bergman, he was an entertainer and he made very efficient, well-paced movies that I, I, I just love. All right, let's get into The Seventh Seal. Um, so this movie, again, directed by Ingmar Bergman uh, from 1957. And we mentioned in that intro Max von Sydow, who uh, the late Max von Sydow just passed earlier this year, um, who, you know, if, if you're still learning, he's someone you've probably seen uh, in his later years. He was in Game of Thrones. He was in one of the newest Star Wars movies. He, When he died, actually, I, we're getting sidetracked already talking about him, but he... He's been such a huge part of cinema history. I realize he's been, I don't know, since since movies existed, like roughly half of cinema history, he's been there in a big recognizable face. And this movie apparently was part of his kind of beginning, uh, one of his big kind of breakout roles. Um, so that's that's he's the the main star here. We also have uh, Gunnar Bjornstrand, and he's a, a frequent collaborator with Ingmar Bergman um, and, and also B.B. Uh, Anderson, who's... Uh, in several of his other films, um, especially his earlier ones, uh, and actually most of these people are kind of regular Bergman collaborators. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen this twice now. How many times have you watched this movie, Andrew? Um, I don't know exactly. I would say maybe five or six <laughs> okay. times. Uh, but but actually, I hadn't watched it um, for years uh, mm -hmm. up until we watched it for this. So yeah, yeah, I think it was about two years ago. I or three years ago, I watched it for the first time, and then again this morning and uh and it's one that i it's so rich that i think i can continue to get new things for sure mm -hmm. every time it's uh it's almost like well, we'll get into kind of bergman style and, and why that is but it's just incredibly dense and rich um so i guess let's talk about what this movie is about um basically it's about death sort of a reflection a meditation on death uh the title the seventh seal comes from uh, the book of Revelation in the Bible, 
uh, I looked up the verse and it's in chapter eight or something. And it's talking about kind of the end of the world, basically. Um, this is set in medieval times. Uh, it is uh, post the Crusades uh, and the Black Plague is, is wreaking havoc on um, Europe. Uh, and so our, our main character is um, Max von Sydow. He's a, a knight named Antonius Block. And he and his squire, Johns, have just gotten back from the Crusades. And uh, for 10 years, they've been fighting the Crusades. Um, and they've, they've returned to this uh, uh, country that's now being get ravaged by the plague. And everyone's very anxious. And um, they're, they're the kind of the main ones. And then there's also an acting troupe um, and three actors there. And there's some other characters that come in along the way. Um, but all throughout this, the conversations they're having, um, of course, death is looming over everyone because of the plague, um, but the conversations they're having and um, the things happening to them, very symbolic things happening to them, all seem to relate to death. And uh, there's also a strong element of um, kind of faith and questioning the existence of God. Uh, so yeah, those, those are kind of the, I don't know, big, broad strokes. Uh, do you have anything else to add as far as kind of the vibe of this movie or what this is about? I think that's, yeah, I think that that's it really. Um, it, it is like a darker tone mm-hmm. um, because of the plague and because yeah. of the, um, yeah, just the terror and fear that's going on in the community uh, that the that where it shot. Um, but yeah, it's it has a dark tone. But there are moments uh, with the um, mm-hmm. that we're going to do with the actors that are quite, um, uh, I think, beautiful and moving and yeah. full of life. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as like the plot, it's almost secondary to the dialogue and kind of the. The meditative nature of this uh, like we could i don't i guess we can spoil it's not really a spoiler movie if we tell you what happens at the end it's not really going to mean much because uh, right. the experience of watching this is is what's important um so i think this gets to one thing about bergman's style and that is um the language is incredibly heightened um it's there's a lot of symbolism it's very literary feeling the the dialogue is really rich i was writing down favorite lines uh, and there's one scene I basically just transcribed the whole scene because like oh my gosh everything in this is so good, uh, and I'll we'll talk about what scene that is. But um, I guess overall the plot is yeah he's come back from the Crusades, um, they their lives intersect with these actors, and they travel through the woods to get to his house. I, that's the short version. There's a um, a wife who leaves a husband, uh, and then there's a confrontation around that coming back together. There's um, a woman who's been accused of being a witch and she's going to be burned at the stake. We learn early on and we end up watching that whole plot through. Um, and at the very beginning, um, this knight does encounter death. Uh, so it's, he looks like the grim reaper. Basically he's, uh, he's got a very round face and a black hood. And he says, um, well, if, if maybe we can put it off, if we play chess, basically for my soul. And, uh, so that's throughout the movie, they, they return to this chess game. And it becomes clear that no one else can see death except for this night. Um, but they have these um, just really uh, poetic kind of conversations. And actually, speaking of that word poetic, it's it's one we mentioned last week um, talking about 
uh, or two weeks ago talking about Tokyo Story and that it's kind of slow and um, ponderous uh, and and gives you time to think. This one is poetic too, I think, maybe in the way that it's also got a lot of things to ponder and um, gives you some time to think through those things. But it's also, again, not not really plot driven um, the way, I don't know, we're used to in modern Western movies. But yeah, so I guess that's, a, that's kind of the plot. Again, it's kind of hard to just talk about the plot. It's probably best if we just kind of jump into kind of one of our favorite parts, things. Some of these things that I've written in my notes are really small things that I just thought was a nice touch. Um, and so some of them are lines. So anyway, I guess let's jump into that. Um, what do you love about this movie, Andrew? Uh, I really like <clears throat> the scenes when um, Antonius Block, <clears throat> the knight, is communicating with the death. Um, yeah. A scene near the uh, beginning of the film where he is... Um, in a um, a church and he is wanting to confess and there seems to be a priest um, there present and he kind of pours out his um, his doubts, his fears, his mm-hmm. thoughts and his wanting of proof of God's existence and um, we see that the priest is actually um, death and this is after we have met death already and death has agreed to a game of chess with the knight. Uh, I think it's a beautiful scene and very um, vulnerable and very open. Mm-hmm. Uh, the knight pouring out his um, his fears and uh, everything that he's going through after these crusades. Mm-hmm. Um, so the scenes with death are very frank and honest, it seems, in many ways, uh, between the knight and death. And I also really enjoy the... Um, Mia, Joff, and Mikael, the the acting family, and their they kind of provide a respite and um, a sense of relief from all the the questioning, the doubt, the fears. They kind of represent this living quality um, that's very beautiful. Um, and Bergman, of course, was a film director and a theater director much of his life, and worked with um, actors quite often and. Yeah, there's there's sort of this sense that um, their life is is worth living even uh, amidst this crazy uh, world mm-hmm. that's really overwhelming. So I, I really like uh, the scenes with the the acting family, and then yeah, I think that's great. So I I like the acting family as well. So it's like husband and wife are actors, and there's a third actor, um, and, and they have a, a young son, as you mentioned. Um, and, and they are, so I tried this time, you can almost clue into, uh, it's so deeply symbolic that you can almost, there's almost like archetypes or something with these characters. And I kind of wrote them down kind of the way I was looking at it and kind of understanding what their character is like. So we have the knight and Tony's block and he's having this crisis of faith, uh, questioning the existence, the existence of God. Um, Joff is, they, they kind of in a sort of, aside say something about um i think on on stage they were saying he could he could play the soul of man and so i started thinking through like does he represent like the human soul are we going to see him kind of pulled back and forth and we do a little bit and and kind of seeing uh, i don't know if you could consider it like a um uh, holy war over his soul or something like that uh, and then the squire i really like his character as well he's 
Kazim is very selfish. He's kind of nihilistic, I think. He laughs at everything. Um, he's pretty lecherous, the women around him. Um, and the, those, specifically the knight and the squire, their um, kind of dueling viewpoints on the world um, really set up uh, the a lot of the richness that comes out of the, the dialogue here, which is something I've seen. Mm. So I've, I've seen a, a few other Bergman movies, um, actually in the movie Wild Strawberries, there's a something that reminded me of that. And it's, there's... Um, Basically, it's this professor who's aging and then he hangs out with these young people in one scene. And there's one who's a strong atheist and one who's a person of faith. Like he's a seminary student and uh, they just are going at it and fighting. It was almost that feeling of like by having these different perspectives, Bergman is bringing out these different um, views on things. Um, But yeah, I had so much with this. I I did want to mention specifically that confession scene that you brought up. That is my favorite scene of the movie. Um, That's the one I was like, oh, that's a great line. Oh, that's a great line. And I was just like, I'm just writing this whole scene down. But um, yeah, he says, um, I was I'm trying to just pick one out of here. But he, so he knows death is coming for him. And that's when I think he says, or maybe it's the initial chess match where he says he has one, he wants to do, do a good deed before he dies. And um, so we kind of learned that. But then we see there, yeah, the vulnerability you mentioned. He's just um, pouring out his heart and then saying, I, I want to tear my heart out. Or I want to tear, he says, um, yeah, so there's a few things going on here. He's, he's saying he wishes God would show himself. Um, and the silence of God is a, a something that comes up here and is something that Bergman talks about in other movies too. And he has a movie called The Silence, which is kind of about the silence of God and that just existential fear of you know if god is real why won't he show himself and that's exactly what the knight is saying here like i want to see him i I want knowledge not faith or conjecture but knowledge i want god to show himself um i cry to him in the dark but no one seems to be there which is um, again it's one of those things where and, and that idea has probably existed for centuries right people have always had that fear um but seeing it in such a personal authentic way from something from such a different context than than my own um just makes me always feel that kind of community and just uh i don't know like i think i mentioned this last time too just the universal um goodwill towards my fellow man like we're all in this together kind of a feeling uh, and i definitely got that with this scene but also yeah um, the in that same scene he's he has a line um why can i not kill god within me why does he go on living in this painful humiliating way and that's like he's almost trying not to believe in god anymore but he just there's a nagging there that he can't kill uh and and it would be easier if he could just you know not believe in god but it's so ingrained that he he can't shake that and so just hearing that internal struggles it's it's startling because it is so vulnerable and it's um such a complex thing and it's so beautifully written. So, yeah, that's one of those scenes that it's just the dialogue is uh, it's an embarrassment of riches of, of like, I can't um, I, I think with a lot of Bergman movies, I'm like, oh, I want to really key in and pay attention to every little thing and try to wrap my head around everything. But it's there's so much it seems impossible almost. But uh, yeah, what were you going to yeah. react to that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, <clears throat> I, I do think it's very rich. The um, uh the script seems incredibly rich and Bergman often wrote his, his own script. And I think this particular scene seems to be also from almost personal experience with Bergman, 
who um, whose father was um, a, a Swedish um, minister, and uh, Bergman was very uh, raised in a very strict and rigid way, mm. and at times was um, I think treated kind of badly and Mm -hmm. that may be shown in the film fanny and alexander which is a work that bergman did late in his career Mm -hmm. which shows um a a minister treating his um children in a very uh just very strict and almost abusive way Mm -hmm. and i think for for bergman there was a fight um, in himself or this like war between like belief or trying to get rid of belief. And that seems present during this time and also with the Silence of God trilogy. And I think after that, he moved into another phase of his filmmaking career. But I really, yeah, I, I think these, some of these conversations or the, this dialogue um, in this film is really powerful. And I think it comes from a lot of personal mm-hmm. struggles and um, thoughts. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, and I didn't know all that about his upbringing. I knew that, his dad was a minister. I have not seen Fanny and Alexander yet. I've kind of, it's been a long time and I'm kind of watching through them chronologically and I've gotten as far as winter light. Actually, that's my last one that I watched, which I loved. Uh, but, um, yeah, definitely. That's a a thing that kind of goes through. I did watch, um, there's a little intro on the criterion channel where Bergman, um, this is before he, I believe he passed away a few years ago. Uh, this is before his passing. He was, um, doing some interviews uh, and like rewatching them with a critic. And um, he said that he wrote this film to conjure up his own fear of dying. So I guess this is a, a deep struggle that he had. And um, he crafted this script around that. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I guess we can move to another scene. I had several just like little things that uh, I thought, oh, that's really a cool touch or kind of plays into this whole dynamic. Um, I'm just going to kind of go through my notes and if you have a reaction to something too, then, then shout it out. But one thing I noticed, like it opens on the beach uh, just before he starts that chess match and we see them just lying there and there's just these still shots of them. Like, I guess they're, they're asleep. Actually, it seems like for a moment they might be dead already. Um, But uh, then they wake up and and have a conversation, but uh, this is the knight uh, and, and the squire. But um, that first shot of, the night laying, uh, it, it reminded me of a modern movie, and that is uh, the lighthouse from last year from um, uh, from A twenty four. That film from um, I'm blanking on the director's name, who also did The Witch, Dave Eggers. Uh, sorry, Robert Eggers. <laughs> a few different Eggers, um, but he I know he is someone who's very in, influenced by Bergman. There's a great actually a podcast with him and Ari Aster talking about in great length about Bergman and his close-ups and stuff. But I could definitely see um, just reminding me of the the influence there of, um, have you seen the lighthouse, Andrew? No, I haven't. It's, it's, yeah, it's a modern film, but he shot it on, I believe on 35 millimeter. I'm not sure what film, but um, it's, it's almost square and black and white and very different movie, but you can definitely see the influence of Bergman and, and, um, there's several shots of people on a beach lying very still. Uh, a few very memorable ones in that movie that I immediately thought of when I saw that again. Uh, so that's a uh, an interesting one. Go ahead. I, yeah, I, that, I thought that was a very powerful opening uh, when we're seeing the sky and then seeing like a, a seagull sort of just um, hovering. Uh, and then the the 
the voices of the kind of like call of um, the soundtrack is just incredible. And then we hear like the lapping and pounding of the waves against the beach. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost seems as we're say- seeing them, uh, the squire in the night lay on the beach, it feels as if it's almost like the end or the beginning of the world. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. Bergman really uses um, this sense of the water and the beach to kind of like begin the film in a way in which we are, given a fresh slate something Mm -hmm. we can just drop some preconceptions or ideas about what this film will be and then kind of start fresh with the film and i really like that that opening yeah that's a good good point and i think it's it almost seems like where did these guys come from (laughs) they just wash up out of of Mm -hmm. the water um and and i think that's a a good way to say that um yeah that's really interesting Uh, so it kind of goes from there and it, it there's a voiceover reading that bible verse that the title comes from um, and then death shows up and he's, you know, very imposing. One thing that's interesting about the, the chess, I, I read that um, uh, the idea of death playing chess is something that's actually previously in, in some art work that Bergman um, saw and is specifically in um, cathedral art. Um, in that same uh, video intro I mentioned, which I'll link to, if you have Criterion channel, you can check it out. It shows a, a shot of the art that he's talking about. So he was... Uh, influenced by that and then as they start uh, right before they play chess um the knight says you play chess don't you and and death says how did you know that he says, i've seen it in paintings and heard it in ballads <laughs> so it's kind of a little reference to that uh that was an interesting background that i learned uh, in researching this um but what you mentioned the that feeling of like the end of the world and i think that i mean the seventh seal that title definitely references that um but they a few times as they're talking to people in the bar and um, you hear some different conversations and from kind of side people like people are really wondering if this is the apocalypse. Um, mm. And a little more just the research that I did, I read an essay, um, a, a different one, which I can also link to also from Criterion Channel or Criterion uh, Collections website. But it talked about um, this came out in kind of height of Cold War. And uh, there really were fears that this that could be the end of the world in the late 50s. Um, and, and so it was almost a reaction to that, that he's setting this story in the time of the plague and having those similar fear, uh, fears kind of coming back up. I mean, I, I'm watching this now. So this is 2020 uh, coronavirus is um, raging right now. And uh, it was interesting to, to get into this movie about a plague in the middle of this pandemic that we have. But I, I turned it on. I was like, Oh yeah, this is about the plague. This might be kind of hard to watch. Um, but yeah, that, that feeling of the end of the world, uh, it comes in many times, uh, and like whether this is the end of all things. Um, another point that was made by the same essayist said that, uh, that's a genius move to put this in medieval times, because if he had just made a movie about 1957, uh, it would have been very dated and, people would have, um, it probably would not have had the impact. Today, it would not feel like a significant thing. But by changing the time period from where he was at, it, it made it much more universal. Uh, and I think gave it that lasting power. Yeah. And he did other medieval stories too. So that was uh, not an uncommon thing for him. But um, yeah, so that, that, that opening is really great. And, and that, that uh, apocalyptic language comes in right at the beginning. Um, moving forward a little bit, there's uh, we meet the acting troupe, and they're kind of all asleep in their cart. 
Um, so first thing, when Joff first wakes up, he slaps a fly on his forehead. It's a really short little moment, um, but <laughs> I'm heightened and I'm thinking about death. And I'm like, oh, he just killed a fly. And then later on, they say people are dying like flies. I thought that was just a nice little touch that like really death is all around us. <laughs> we uh, There's things dying all the time. It's an important part of life. Just a way to kind of bring that to mind. Uh, but then immediately when he leaves, he, he wakes up before everyone else. He goes outside and he sees a vision of the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus. And he there's this amazing close-up. There's several amazing close-ups in this movie. Um, but as he's witnessing that and the music swells, this kind of miraculous-sounding music, and then we learn that he's someone who has a lot of visions like this and he sees apocalypse or uh, just spiritual things like this. And... Um, so that's just an interesting thing. And then I noticed this that I didn't last time. Uh, the first time I watched it was um, just a few minutes later. He's woken up his wife. We see the baby for the first time. There, there may be um, Michael or Mikhail, however you pronounce that. And um, the we get a, another close-up of Joff that looks very much like that first one. Um, but just a, a little bit less, uh, I don't know, showy because that first one is really... A big zoom in and he's got a big smile but it's almost a parallel shot and that music swells the same way just a, a really minor touch of the music uh and it's to me that kind of suggests that we're seeing him his family for the first time his wife and child and i think it's just pointing out the miracle that um that love and and new life is uh, so i thought that was a nice little um parallel there that uh that i didn't pick up on the, the first time i watched it and a nice use of music there but uh yeah that's that was a nice moment early on um then as we move forward um we're not going to go through every scene of this but the beginning of this movie had so much uh that i just really connected with and, go ahead I wanted to, uh, yeah. yeah we also i really uh enjoyed the uh as an audience getting acquainted with joe his wife and their mm -hmm. son um, as well, you mentioned earlier the the third person in their group, um, the the actor Scat, I believe, yeah, and sure. he he has this sense of um, uh, this vanity, mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess, uh, where he uh, after um, Joe wakes up and his wife and their son Scat comes out of the wagon where they're staying and uh, puts on a mask that is mm -hmm. uh, like death. And he is using this mask and t turns at one point and almost address addresses us, the, mm. the audience, straight at the camera and speaks as if he's death. Wow. And that it was a very powerful um, moment and, and very slight. And it only lasts, I think, maybe five mm. to ten seconds. Mm -hmm. And then we're back to everything's normal. But for a moment, like the the fourth wall is kind of broken and mm. we're being looked at, it seems. And yeah. I think that's a very interesting uh, a moment in the film. And his character, uh, his use of mask, he, he wears a lot of, um, I think, fake beards. And that will come into play later mm -hmm. uh, in the film when um, the mask is taken off. It almost seems as if he's more vulnerable. And mm -hmm. in Bergman, from w w what I've seen, masks seem to be very important. And when people don't have them, there is this sense of vulnerability and this sense that they could be mm -hmm. um almost overwhelmed by life. Um, wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, that that, I, that mask it ends up kind of hanging out in the background a little bit too later on. And um, you mm. kind of see it's almost like death is just hanging over 
everything they're doing uh, and this fear of death and this idea that it's always there. Um, moving on a little, uh, so before we get to that confession scene, I, there's actually another scene that I really love, and that is uh, between the squire, um, Johns, and the uh, church painter. There's a, a, an artist who's painting the inside of the the chapel that they that this confession scene takes place in and i love the conversation they have because it's kind of about art and an obsession with the macabre and, and and why do people like um art uh, around death and that kind of thing and they talk about the dance of death which ends up coming back towards the end here uh, of the movie um that that uh, when death comes for people he dances off with them and that they all dance together um and then the squire says uh to the painter you know, people aren't going to look at your paintings because they're, you know, they're so dark and sad. Um, and he says, <laughs> I love his, his retort. He says, yes, they will, because a skull is almost more interesting than a naked woman. And I thought that was a funny, uh, especially speaking to the squire who we've already seen. He's uh, kind of a lecherous guy. So that's really spoke to him well. I thought that was a funny line. Um, but then also just already critical of uh, the religious establishment too, because uh, a few minutes later he says, um, Johns points out that maybe the point of this art is to scare people into the arms of the priests. And so it's almost like a fear mongering idea. Um, so you kind of start to get a little criticism of religion um, right there towards the beginning. And, and that continues to play out a little bit as well. Um, and then also on a religious side in that same scene, um, he mentions that some people think the plague is a punishment from God. And that is something that carries through as well. And um, just thinking about um, the, how God works, basically, and the, and the way people think at this time, um, that is really fascinating to to play out as, as we keep going. Which we'll come back to that idea, I think. But do you have any thoughts yeah. on that uh, that scene? Yeah, that scene, I think, was really well done. Um, I think the painter is a reference to who you were speaking about earlier, yeah. the Swedish mm -hmm. medieval painter who created uh, the the scene of death and um, the knight playing chess together. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really enjoyed the back and forth. Uh, the squire often, Johns, is often the quick like the quick wit among mm -hmm. everyone in the film, but he's kind of met his match in a way with yeah. the um the the painter but they they end up enjoying each other's company mm -hmm. and there's a line a little bit later on where um john says our crusades were, were uh something like so stupid they could have mm -hmm. only been created by an idealist a true idealist <laughs> yeah I that too. that's a great line <laughs> so that was a great line and um sort of the the cynicalness but also the earthiness of um john's makes his character quite interesting it, it, it you're, you're right it's very um um, you get like sort of a, an opposite view of life or uh, a dichotomy that's compared to the knight who's very austere yeah. and um, ascetic mm -hmm. in ways. Yeah, the squire almost, he just laughs at everything, thinks everything's a joke a little bit and kind of nihilistic, I think is the word I, I mentioned a minute ago. I mm. think, But uh, at the same time, he sticks up for the vulnerable in a few different places. And I think that's an interesting right. part of his character too. He's not, uh, you know, an, an evil person, it's, it would seem, but... Um, yeah, so you mentioned um, the the talk about the Crusades, and, and so I, I guess it goes from like the church painter uh, the, and the squire talking, and then to that confession scene that we talked a lot about, and then it kind of comes back to them again, the, the painter and the squire, 
and they're talking about the Crusades, and he has that line you mentioned about, it's so stupid that only an idealist could have thought it up. Um, but they, he also, like before they say that line, he just talks about what they were doing, and basically he's like, it was, he has his list of like, we were, you know, on the verge of death, and eating rotten food and um mm, and also right. like it sounded he kind of makes a vague reference that maybe they were like mistreating women as they were going a terrible thing and then he pauses and says for the glory of god and so another just moment of that kind of critical of um religious establishment and saying you know here's all these things we did in the name of the lord and um and just playing into the overall you know questioning god questioning religion are those the same thing and, and, and all of that? The, this, I think another thing that's poetic about this maybe is that it opens up so many questions and doesn't really answer any of them. Um, but it, uh, it definitely leaves you with an impression. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that line a lot. Um, yes, I guess we can move on. Uh, well, here this again was right, the, right, the next scene. Um, but they go out of the church and there's a woman there who is you find out is set to be burned at the stake. Supposedly, she has had sexual relations with the devil, and that's why this plague is happening. That's what they're blaming it on. Um, so this made me think about just a greater uh, thing I've been reading about and thinking about um, is this idea of uh, I, I got I'm still this term I heard from Richard Rohr, who's a um, a writer, Catholic writer um, that I really like a lot. But he talks about ultimate causality, and that being the way that um, people, Christians, uh, up until not that long ago, and some still do, kind of view the world as um, something good happened, and that we give that to God. Something bad happens, we blame it on the devil. And um, of course, that's a man-made construct, but uh, that's that kind of thing is used to control people, even. And so I think, like things like witch hunts and um burning this woman at the stake like oh this must be her fault we're going to blame it on something and um that gives people comfort that oh we figured it out but then so we're saying that the devil's causing it and then other people are saying that um god is causing it as a punishment uh for people not being mm-hmm. um uh devout enough and then i think that kind of transitioned into the the scene that's a few minutes later is um the stage play we do see the actors on the stage and um that crowd is heckling them a little bit but they're uh singing this song about the plague and uh and kind of poking fun that this is the end of the world and then in the middle of this this procession of um monks and self they're self-flagellating and they're moaning and mourning very loudly comes in and just drowns it all out and this is a really striking scene uh, and so the actually the church painter mentioned that these people were going around and he says i hate it i hide in the ditch whenever they come by so we see them and first of all the fact that we have this kind of light-hearted um poking fun at everything from the actors and kind of see right. their view of life getting completely drowned out by the fear mongers who come in um, just kind of makes a statement about the world and about religion i think and then um this guy speaks and says, you know, you people are um, debaucherous and, and the, this plague is happening because of that. So, yeah, again, that ultimate causality of um, we want to ascribe meaning to this uh, from a, a powerful force outside of our control, God or the devil or whoever. 
um, and those things are always going to be at odds. And um, it, I think it shows the folly of that way of thinking. Um, so I thought that was an interesting thing to see in a movie because you don't see movies about that kind of thing very often. Uh, but I thought that was really an interesting thing. Um, I, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, I, re I really like that uh, scene because you're right. It it begins with the actors kind of poking fun at sort of the way some people engage with the plague. Mm -hmm. And then it's just interrupted by this massive procession of these um, religious people and mm -hmm. those who are trying to almost purge themselves of guilt and rid themselves mm -hmm. of the shame of potentially causing this plague. And they're flagellating themselves and really, um, it, you know, harming themselves. And it's a, it's a very powerful scene. And Bergman shoots it in a beautiful way as well and there are there are those in the crowd that kneel down and they seem to be experiencing religious ecstasy while mm -hmm. it's sort of like showing the madness of those experiences it is also showing i think the appeal to some through this religious ecstasy or this uh, purging of guilt or shame mm -hmm. uh to some extent even though there seems to be you know that you're at a certain point that's not sustainable right. and then you don't really have anything after that. But, yeah. um, and I think Bergman is okay with the paradox of that, that like this is meaningful for people, but at the same time pointing out that it might be folly for others. And yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's an interesting thing. And right. Bergman, Bergman really goes there and, and is okay with having all those kind of conflicting ideas in the same moment, I think. Yeah. And, and also, yeah, it's just, the, the when the um, priest I believe speaks and you you were saying that he points out people and their folly and saying oh this is caused because of you I mean that is incredibly dangerous and I think yeah. um, the seventh seal is very um, some of the questions and ethical questions raised in the film are still relevant and yeah. yes it's, it's an older film and it's about the medieval plague but it, it is raising existential questions and also social political kind of questions and religious questions like what ethical concerns that really matter um and i i really find that um moving um and i think that um bergman this film the seventh seal um is sometimes seen in a historical light but i do think it has great vitality mm -hmm. and um it, it's i think it's still a, a really great film to engage in yeah. Uh, today and to go back to um, over and over again. So. Yeah, I think oh, yeah, one of the essays I saw was saying, you know, on paper, this sounds really not that not like a fun thing to watch. And fun isn't the word, but it is. Uh, I mean, it's a huge um, yeah, vitality, I think is the word you said. It's it's uh, it's full of life. So and I think we're making it sound maybe too like it's really heavy and it is heavy. But there's also um, the moments of lightness and uh, moments of beauty, like you mentioned. So even in the middle of all of this that's happening, like in the middle of the stage play, um, we see that, that third actor going off and basically being seduced by like a groupie or something. We later learn that she is um, married to someone else and like that ends up being a bigger deal. But um, the scene of their first connection is, is funny uh, and also... Um, I don't know, just it, 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 Bergman is concerned with like these universal things like there's how beautiful is a little newborn baby and we see this this child running around. Um, there's a beauty in sexuality that is, you know, it's a universal thing like this is hundreds of years ago, but sexuality, uh, there's still um, uh, the spark of, of that kind of thing 
even in the midst of all of this too, in the end of the world. And so I think he's just concerned with like those um, overarching human experiences and, uh, mm. and that all comes in even when it's uh, serious or funny or, or all of those things. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. I expect we can move forward a little bit in the plot, but um, my, my notes taper off a little bit from here because it, it comes a little bit more um, plot driven as we kind of watch things happen. There is um, an interesting uh, scuffle between that, that woman and uh, her husband and this lover and they have a fight at the end. And um, there's a, actually a really funny scene there too. Um, where someone fakes their death and so there's another uh this this movie also kind of comes at the idea of death from all the different angles it can um and so it's like if someone thinks they caused someone else to commit suicide what's that doing to their brains versus um you know seeing someone actually die and um so i I guess kind of fast forwarding close to the end there is that scene of um the, the you know quote unquote witch being burned at the stake and um that plays out and in in that moment so we've had antonius block here just you know in anguish thinking about is there really a god is this all uh nothingness and when we die is there anything there and uh he's you know hoping against hope that there is and the squire on the other hand is saying no probably not you know this is what there is and life is what it is and we can just laugh about it uh, to to make to make time pass basically and um the mood the scene where she uh is finally you know up on the the stake and they set the fire is incredibly moving because they uh he says you know i want to i want to look in her eyes and, and see you know if i can see anything there that points to you know the fact that there's more is there something more and uh the squire says look in her eyes she sees the truth that there is no god and he says i think the phrase her terror is ours um just kind of pointing into this like greater universal existential fear of you know what if this is all there is and the squire saying yeah look you can here's the evidence right here so i think that's a really interesting um just yeah. seeing there yeah go ahead uh, yeah, um, I that scene is very powerful. I also uh, in part of that scene, the knight sees the distress and the the pain that mm-hmm. the uh, the woman is experiencing, and seems to give her some sort of medication or some sort of uh, substance that he said will ease the pain. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it seems as if she it, she dies before she has to be burnt, which is almost like an act of kindness mm. and how i how i experienced the, the that gesture yeah um but it was yeah really um a very moving and intense uh, sequence but yeah. um the the night throughout the film the knights want to have a reprieve and have this sense of creating an act in which he can feel is meaningful in his life is very important. And I think we, we see that um, towards the end of the film when, um, when he, he, he creates um, sort of this protection. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a very um, amazing experience, even though he has this sense of detachment, it seems, or this seriousness and austereness and this, his own questioning. And he seems isolated from everyone else in a way. Mm-hmm. He also is engaging, I think, in ways to be considerate and kind uh, when when there's an opportunity to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 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 well said. And um, yeah, that's that that burning scene is probably the the most intense, maybe darkest moment in the movie. 
Um, I mean, it doesn't exactly get happy from there, but um, that that's probably the, the darkest point. I guess uh, I have kind of just two more things I want to mention as we talk through the movie. And that is, uh, so from here, they, they do get on to um, uh, Block's house. He's been away for 10 years in the Crusades and hasn't seen his wife in such a long time. And I thought that was an interesting connection. So if you've been listening through the podcast, we did uh, an episode about the movie the best years of our lives so very different context but there's a very similar feeling of they're coming back from world war ii and he's seeing his wife for the first time and so that was an interesting parallel that uh, i couldn't have planned but um it's, again a universal experience you know this is uh, medieval times that's it set in the late 40s and um, just seeing those universal human experiences the, making those connections is an interesting thing um and then the movie ends with um, Death does show up and uh, basically shows up for all of them. They can all see him at that point. Um, and then we see Joff and his wife and their child, um, who they have the previous night have kind of run away. And we see them um, pretty happy, pretty hopeful. And he looks over and he sees the troop. And, and there's a really iconic shot there of the dance of death. And um, Death is leading them up this up this mountain and uh they're kind of doing this dance with their figures against this skyline and uh it's a really it's a really moving scene and that's um that's kind of where it ends but the thing i wanted to mention was again to to say there is lightness there is beauty and hope in this movie i think one of the my favorite things is actually way back towards the beginning uh toward the middle i guess the shortly after um Block and uh, Johns meet the actor, uh, Joe and his wife and their family. They have this lunch together and uh, or dinner, I guess. And mm. uh, all they have is um, wild strawberries and fresh milk. And they kind of make a big deal about how they got it. And, um, and they're saying, you know, it's a modest lunch, but look at us uh, we can we can all share this together and it's almost like a communion like that like mm. like in church um, i think this is my favorite yeah. Uh, yeah, scene in the film yeah I, I i yeah i just wanted to say that it's it's a very moving scene i'm uh, like mm. i miss this a really dark experience there are moments of light and for me this represents this community this mm -hmm. sense mm -hmm. of um interconnection with others and as you were describing um offering strawberries and uh, fresh milk. Um, strawberries in Sweden um, are really connected to summer and oh. summers in Scandinavia, I think uh, on doing some research lasts at times five to six weeks, maybe seven weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's very short, it's very precious. Um, so for this family who are actors who don't have much money, who have very little to offer, uh, to share uh, these strawberries and milk with this the knight, the squire, and the uh, woman who seems to be mute, who um, the squire has found earlier in the film and uh, uh, just traveling with them. Um, she, it, it really is moving to me when Mia, the actor, the 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 mother of the the uh, child, she says to um, to the knight, you know, do you have a love? Do you have like a, a partner in some way? She kind of is asking about that. And he says, yes, but I don't know, you know, if she's alive or what's going on. He, you know, he hasn't seen her in so long and that's where he's headed. Um, and then he goes into, she kind of acknowledges he and sees that he seems sad and he acknowledges yes. And the burden of faith is very heavy. Mm. Um, there's this weight to his experience and what he, the questions he has and this doubt that he has. But then he, he says, 
but everything seems that seems very far away now and seems mm-hmm. kind of inconsequential. And I'm he, uh, I transcribed this. Um, he said, I will remember this moment, the stillness, the dusk, the wild strawberries, the milk, uh, the Mikhail sleeping, Joe with his lyre, mm-hmm. the evening light on your faces. I'll try to remember what we spoke of and I'll hold this memory in my hands like a bowl of fresh milk full to the brim. Mm-hmm. And it will be a sign for me and a source of great satisfaction. So. To me, this is an incredible moment where mm. he, the character is just really um, connected and enjoying life. Mm. When in much of the film, it seems like a struggle and he is obviously playing chess with death for his own life. Um, but the recognition that these people are helping him and he is helping them in a way because he offers to take them to his castle where they will be safe because the plague is sp- spreading and uh, he suggests to the actor, don't take your family in that direction. It's very dangerous. Come with me through the forest to my castle. Mm-hmm. It's this, um, yeah, this friendship and this just basic human connection that's very moving. And, and um, yeah, I, I love this scene. And it's, it's very lyrical and very kind of, it's set in this idyllic pastoral setting that is very different than much of the film. But it, it kind of provides this sense of... Um, enjoyment of life uh, mm-hmm. while going through so much that is uh, so difficult. And I think for Bergman, uh, I had read that he really felt like community was important early in his filmmaking career and that he wanted to feel connected and he wanted to be heard and seen and to hear and see others. And that sense of community really drove him to, in much of his early work. Um, so yeah, I, I love that scene. I'm glad that you, you had yeah, brought it up. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so, so great. I love, I love that moment where he says, you know, I, I have so much to worry about, but it seems so far away. Yeah. Like, uh, how insignificant all of a sudden, um, because of this beautiful moment. And, um, and then kind of at the end of that scene, he, he drinks from the milk bowl again. It's just one big bowl they're sharing. And I think it, it must be intentionally calling to mind a communion, like they're sharing this bowl. Mm-hmm. And I think so that the implication there is like, this is a holy thing. So that's interesting for you to say that about Bergman and, and the idea of community. And uh, that's something that I feel like I've been, and maybe again, it's <laughs> coronavirus and being so isolated, but just realizing that community is a really important thing and a spiritual thing. Um, so that's another just really nice um kind of universal human experience kind of a moment uh, but the other thing i want to say about this is this is actually the scene that reminded me of wally and it was that same idea um I, again this maybe just watching these in light of covid19 uh, and being mm. so alone for a while um wally's isolated right at the beginning of that movie and so when he finally meets someone else it's a it's a really big deal and then we see that connection um and, and it's that that thing i said about um the seeing seeing humanity and non-human characters uh and and that's kind of what you get at the end of wally is um for a moment it seems like his memories erased and it's this it's really tragic like uh he he was mm. crushed and she has to rebuild him and all this uh and then when she touches him uh the the connection sparks his memory and it just is like that, that connection is a part of what makes us human a big part of what makes us human and so then watching um seventh seal this morning uh you know I watched Wally last night at Seven Seal this morning. Uh, having that that same connection is like community is so important, and it really is a spiritual and and beautiful thing. So maybe that's the best thing to to leave in your mind uh, as we have talked through this movie. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the movie itself? And, and we can maybe talk a little more about um, Bergman and his um, his place in cinema history because it's he's a he's a, a big figure. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, just um, maybe two more scenes, just yeah. quickly. Um, I, I think we referenced it before. The the knight um, does take action in the game of chess to kind of allow the uh, actor family to escape potential doom and death. Mm-hmm. And I think that that um, is a reprieve for him. And he, he is satisfied with it. Death actually asked him, like, you know, was that worth it? Did you feel good about that? Mm-hmm. Or And he was like, yes, you know, it definitely was. So he, um, I think that was very meaningful to the night in the film, the sense that maybe while well, he knows I think the death says on next move, you're mated and the game will be over Mm. um, and your life will be taken. He's aware that this is the end, but if he can do what he can to help others at this time, that's very, very important to him. And he's able to, in some small way, do that. And um, I think that's a very meaningful um, scene as well. Um, And then at the end of the film, uh, near the end, I think when we see the woman's face who is hasn't spoken mm. at all, and yes. she finally says, it is finished, she she sort of looks towards, um, they're having a meal, and she looks towards a window, and light is pouring in to this dark, um, kind of almost, ca- yeah, this dark castle. And she is, uh, she seems almost welcoming death as a friend and being open to the experience of, I mean, I think the plague had been so hard and so much horrible and so many horrible things that had happened to her. Probably, you know, her -hmm. story is, seems like it would be a very difficult life. She, she's welcoming death in the end in some way as a a sort of, maybe there is something else, or at least this will stop because life has been so um, horrible. And I, and I think that that's really important that, women in this um world are really uh victims and like Mm -hmm. uh, really mistreated during this time in history and um yeah i i really love this film and uh i like some um it's not my favorite bergman film but i I think it's a great film Mm -hmm. and I think that the performances are amazing. I do. I, I did sort of hope on rewatching it that there would be more exploration of the female characters in the film mm-hmm. and their, yeah. their roles, and it's sort of showing more nuance to them. And that's something that I think is important. Um, and later in Bergman's career, we'll talk about it. I think he does a better job of that. Mm. Um, but yeah, this was an amazing film. And then the last thing I, I guess, say about the film. The ending, uh, seeing the dance of death, uh, Joff has another vision that's mm-hmm. just the characters um, on the hillside being led by uh, by death to the to the dark country, as he says, and mm-hmm. it's very moving. But th- there also is his wife Mia and his child, and they're together, and she's just smiling at him, and she's holding the baby, and mm-hmm. it's sunny. The storm has passed. And then his vision is over and he goes back to his life with his wife and child and they continue onward with their wagon. Yeah. Um, and life continues. And yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. I was going to say, I had a, a sense then too. You know, it's like, okay, what happens next? You know, the plague doesn't wipe out the entire world. Like they just, it, it is a really hopeful ending. I think ultimately, like you see, yeah, like death is a part of this life that we all live. And, uh, uh, there's a lot of different responses to it, um, but I think, and I'm I'm really interested in the idea of you know, the death of de- uh, the dance of death and, and like learning more about that. But on the surface, it seems like maybe it's um, you know death is a beautiful part of life, even even though it's a hard and scary thing. And 
yeah, I think there's a lot to, to unpack there. But yeah, that scene you mentioned too, where they all are seeing death finally at at, uh, at Block's house, and we do have that the moment where the woman says it is finished. Um, yeah, so first of all, <laughs> that that close up there is really remarkable. Like right before she says that, but you also have a shot of everyone, and it, they all have kind of different. Uh, responses like you said like she's welcoming she's almost like and then the knight is in the back and he's sort of praying out loud like please don't let this happen and then others are just stunned and yeah that's that's a really powerful scene as well so Mm. yes all all (laughs) great things there um this movie is so incredible and and yeah so um yeah vital as you mentioned and i think it has so much to say for for anyone at any time period um and and yeah like as you mentioned too about um the the female characters i think it does so it 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 is concerned with with the vulnerable right but uh and it shows that there's a few moments here and there throughout the movie that um people are in a vulnerable state and are uh there's empathy there for them which um yeah it's important but yeah i agree that the female characters are pretty much sidelined um and and i'm curious to see as i watch more bergman films how that does change um over time but yeah uh so that's that's the seventh seal um it's um a landmark for a reason it really is incredible and um watch it if you haven't i I don't think anything we've said here will spoil it if you haven't seen it i think it hopefully will only make it a richer experience but i would say if you go into it don't um don't expect to understand everything or expect to, you know, be a master of this movie. I, I don't think it's possible. I think that um, you're going to hear different things every time you watch it and uh, come away with something else. But something about it will sink in. And um, it's it's uh, it's an incredible experience, very spiritual experience, I think, to watch this movie and really kind of surrender to it. But yeah, so that's The Seventh Seal. Um Let's talk about Bergman a little bit more. So we, we got into him a little bit, but um, so he does have, uh, I mean, several movies, 50 or 60 movies, um, and several of them deal with, uh, as you mentioned, kind of the silence of God and um, being concerned with um, the existence of God and, and all of that. Um, I have not seen a lot of his later movies, but it sounds like he gets into uh, more personal filmmaking. Um uh, do you have anything else to say, I guess, about Bergman's uh, kind of impact on movie history a little bit? I think um, Scorsese had said something like, if you were a teenager in, you know, during the time when The Seventh Seal came out, you couldn't help but be, um, and you were interested in cinema, you can, mm-hmm. couldn't help but be influenced by Bergman. Mm-hmm. And Bergman um, had admirers and people who really spoke highly of his work from Federico Fellini, Satyajit Ray, uh, Godard. Kurosawa, Kubrick has said some things about him, like he was the, you know, an incredible filmmaker, Wim Wenders, um, and now more contemporary filmmakers like Noah Baumbach, I believe, Greta Gerwig, um, Olivia Assayas, um, yeah. the French filmmaker. I think they're an enormous impact. And I, I think the, you mentioned like the close-up shots; um, those are really powerful. And then the dialogue, the the nakedness and vulnerability of the dialogue mm-hmm. and the emotional expression and the power um, and the psychological um, just awareness of the characters and their the interplay between them mm-hmm. is really incredible and allowing the characters to explore that those intense those um, at times overwhelming emotions or the, the the doubts and fears that creep in um, yeah it's usually so on the dialogue I just want to mention briefly like something about it yeah that the nakedness and like the it's it's so it feels so alive even though it's you know 
decades old now that it was written in a different language and all of that uh it, it reminds me of of reading shakespeare honestly which you know is hundreds of years before our modern era but it's there's something so alive and human about the conversations there and bergman was um a, a stage director and so i think there's an interesting connection there and some of his early movies do feel you can feel the uh, staginess of it um and, and how dialogue heavy it is that it, it feels theatrical in that way and uh, yeah so i think that's one of the great things for me about bergman is um is that dialogue and, and that kind of universal feeling of it yeah go ahead yeah, it, yeah, I, I I really agree with all of that, and I think as his films progress after the Silence of God trilogy, which is um, after the film The Silence, um, the, his filmmaking explores different things, but there are relationships that are explored, uh, scenes from a marriage, um, Fanny and Alexander later on, uh, family dynamics. Mm. Uh, he he is exploring, I think, his past, but also just the the dynamics between people and their relationships, uh, be it familial, romantic, or just friendship. So, yeah, I, I think his films go in that direction overall from that point. And they also become a bit more, um, at times, experimental um, with films like Persona. Um, yeah, I, I think that Bergman, what you said earlier about his connection with the theater and working in theater for such a long time, there is this sense of um, the stage and theater is, is in the film. Like there are often uh, films about actors or actors play a prominent role in the mm. film. And he seems to handle and engage with his actors in a great way. And I, similar to um, the filmmaker Ozu, who we have sp spoken about, um, mm -hmm he uses the same actors quite often in mm. his films. Yeah. Uh, and that allows for this, this growth through, over time in the relationship mm. and the dynamic between he and the actor that has so much richness and, and you see that comfortability on screen and he, he's able to ha um, get these incredible performances and these very vulnerable performances from many of his um, actors. Um, and I think they bring out the best in him as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, I was thinking through like the ones that I've seen uh, of his films. So yeah, Winter Light is actually the last one I watched. And I, I really I liked it so much that I was like, I need to take a break before I get into another one. And I've put it on pause for too long. But Winter Light, we, we mentioned in the previous episode, we talked about um, First Reformed, uh, Paul Schrader, and his writing on the, uh, the transcendental style. Um, that movie first reformed is very clearly influenced by winter light, like some parallel storyline things happen there. So that's an interesting thing. If you saw, uh, first reformed and, uh, and enjoyed it, then you might, um, have, uh, you might, you would really have a lot to, to love about watching through some Bergman movies, especially winter light. Um, but, um, yeah. And then I wanted to mention a couple other, I kind of said earlier, but, um, kind of a different genre but modern filmmakers that talk a lot about Bergman is Ari Aster who directed um, Hereditary and Midsummer, um, the the horror movies and then um, Robert Eggers who made The Witch a few years ago and then more recently The Lighthouse and I think seeing like even to totally modern era seeing the um, influence uh, there is really strong and, and they have a yeah they have a great podcast that I'll link to in the show notes uh, where they talk a lot about Bergman and it's really fascinating to, to hear, but yeah. So he's, he's a really influential person. I, I would say, um, he, there's a lot to dig into. I've seen, uh, wild strawberries is another one of my favorites of his, um, that's, I mentioned earlier as well, that, 
Um, it's just very, um, there's, a, there's always kind of, for me, the ones I've seen, there's always this reflection on kind of life as a whole and uh, in a way that is really um, just beautiful and, and kind of poetic. And um, yeah, he also has some really funny movies. Um, there's one called uh, Smiles of a Summer Night. And it's basically like a sex comedy, but uh, it's really a funny one. And I'll recommend that as well. And then um, what else have I seen through him? Through a Glass Darkly is uh, an intense one. Actually, speaking of The Lighthouse, also, I think some some parallels there as far as being on an island and, and going mad a little bit. Um, and then uh, Winter Light yeah, is, is the other that that I'm really strongly connected with about a, about a minister and his experiences. So anyway that's that's the ones i've seen so far and i highly recommend all of them so many of his films are streaming on the criterion channel so that's another thing if you want to dig into a bunch of his stuff um maybe do a free trial there and see uh if you like it and if, i mean it's worth subscribing there's so much good stuff there but um yeah so that's that's bergman um he's uh a big name and for a reason and uh, really a, a, a beautiful storyteller and one that um I, I still have a lot to, to catch up with on him, but yeah. Or do you have any, any other thoughts on Bergman or on this film or anything else you wanted to mention uh, in this discussion, Andrew? Um, I, I think, the, I think the, uh, the only thing would be the film while we've spoken about being um, somber in, in certain regards is filled with some humor is filled with light moments mm -hmm. and at the end of the film, we spoke about that the acting family kind of goes on through, as you said, the plague didn't kill everyone in Europe, in Sweden during this time. And people lived, people continued life. And I think Bergman um, probably personally needed this to make this film. But also, I think it, it is quite important during this time um, that we're experiencing, I think, uh, you know, the coronavirus and everything going on in the world to see community as vital and important and to do what we can for each other to um, make things a little bit better, like, like help, um, I think, provide some sort of um, connection that allows people to work through the difficulties in ourselves um, to move to move to move on in some way. And I, I really value that about Bergman's work there. His later films also, I mean, there are very difficult sequences. There are scenes that are very, um, just like heartbreaking at times, but there's this sense of human connection that is prized and valued. And mm -hmm. as long as that can remain, then, um, it seems like living and going forward is worth it. So yeah. mm -hmm. I like, I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well said and i think that's a great place to end so um watch seven seal watch some bergman and uh i think you'll find a lot to like um all right well thanks so much again andrew for for joining us for this i'm excited for next time let me look and see what the next movie is i'm i'm spacing right now on what it is um we are watching Oh my gosh, next up is Stalker, which I've never seen, and I am excited to see uh, from uh, Andrei Tarkovsky. I've never seen anything by him. I know that they are uh, quite the experience, his films, and that they are pretty dense, as from what I understand. So that'll be an interesting one to get into. I'll be watching that soon. Uh, also on the Criterion channel, if you want to watch along. Um, at least last time I checked, it was there, and uh, so that's where I plan to watch it. But um, All right. 
cool. Well, thanks, Andrew. And I guess we'll we'll catch uh, catch you next time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Well, if you uh, want to keep up with more Art House Garage things, go to arthousegarage.com or uh, we're pretty active on social media platforms. We are at Art House Garage on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. And uh, you can also find video reviews on YouTube, um, written reviews and events, event coverage over at the blog at arthousegarage.com. Email me, Andrew, at arthousegarage.com. If you want to support the show, uh, leave a rating or review on your podcast app. And uh, you can also buy a t-shirt. We have some shirts at uh, arthousegarage.com slash shop. It's also an email newsletter that I've been doing just a lot of streaming recommendations right now, and that's arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. So hit that up as well. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this, and we will catch you next time. And until then, keep it snob-free. <laughs>